my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. So you see. Welcome to Really Good Shares. I'm AJ Delario, and that music means we're doing another pretty good share. Now, in this podcast, I want to expand the definition of recovery and talk with people I want to learn from who have valuable insights into how to get better, even if they haven't figured it all out yet. You'll hear a mix of interviews and storytelling contributions about making it through hard times. Now, today's Pretty Good Share is with my friend John, who I like to call Peaceful John. I'm almost certain that once you hear him speak, you'll understand why. I wanted to bring John on and have this episode ready for Thanksgiving since this holiday, and let's be honest, all of November and December are essentially the Al-Anon Olympics. There is great joy, there is also grief. And John is someone who I met in Al-Anon, but I, I don't want to let that fact be a deterrent for listening to this because I, I feel like peaceful John's wisdom and kindness can be useful to everyone. Whenever anyone is going through a hard time, I always consider sending them over to John because he's a man who greets people with an extra long hug, you know, but it doesn't feel weird. Um, he has a wonderful heavy sigh that usually precedes his more poignant insights. And his voice, well, his voice is, is booming and his diction is beautiful. For real, we didn't have to edit out very many ums and you knows throughout. What is this special room? I've never oh. seen this one. Yeah. How are you, sir? Good day, good day. I'm very good. I went to a men's meeting, which I've just returned from, so I feel fortified and uh, reintegrated inside of my body as opposed to in my anxiety uh, to perform well. Well, good. I mean, it was our meeting, the Friday meeting? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. See? Love it. We're going to explore many topics that I needed help with, specifically how to not be so hard on myself about my asshole past, how to not spin out about a future I cannot control. But, and I think this is the most relevant for this Thanksgiving, how to turn a moment of unimaginable grief into gratitude. Less than 10 years ago, John lost his long-term partner, and this year he lost his younger sister. He's still living with both those losses. 
but his willingness to talk about them is a gift to me, and I hope to pass along that gift to you. So, happy Thanksgiving. Here's my conversation with Peaceful John. I think that more than than anyone, I've you 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 radiate a lot of kind of tenderness that I think was hard earned, right? You know, I, yeah, and um, and that just kind of just uh, that that sort of out of evolution that you've had. I mean, is that kind of just like in the last decade, or was that something you were kind of born with? Do you think, or just like is this your practice, kind of where you are right now? I think it's an amalgamation of all of that. You know, I grew up in a dysfunctional family, the fourth of five children, and I was parentified uh, with respect to my my younger sister, who just died in the beginning of this year, um, and whose uh, drinking and drug use was problematic and uh, encouraged me to move toward recovery. I was her mommy daddy a lot as a little kid, four years older than she. And I also had a mother who had mental and emotional issues. But the real big lessons came, I think, with my husband Brian's death. Um, We were together for 32 years, and uh, he died suddenly and unexpectedly of a heart attack eight and a half years ago, more than eight and a half years ago now. And in that sudden and unexpected death, I had the greatest shock of my life. I'm 71 now. So at that point, I was 60, whatever the hell I was, 64, so whatever it was, yeah. uh, 62. Um, and I was suddenly in the midst of all that shock, given the opportunity to sort of wade through unexpected, monumental grief and loss. And I think that my higher power, my God, my spiritual guides had me say a lot of things and journal a lot of words that I then became available to living with and living up to. I remember saying and writing, life is not a punishment because I certainly felt the possibility of this loss as a kind of punishment. Uh, And I remember other things that came up that I tried to incorporate in my relationship to the emotional torrent of this unexpected grief and shock. The other thing I knew early on, AJ, was that I wanted, and I said this out loud, I wanted to identify and experience my emotions as close to real time as possible. I said, I'm going to try to identify and allow these emotions. And that, I think, was hugely important and instrumental in making use of grief as opposed to being sentenced to grief. And this is a kind of philosophy I try to carry into my life, which is that life is happening for me, for my growth, for my learning, for my soul's development. A lot of people who read The Small Bow have experienced death and loss, whether it be close friends or parents or children or pets. And for me, now that I'm sober, I'm more attached to the people and dog in my life. And those attachments and love have also given me anxiety that I might lose them. 
I get so afraid of losing what I have that I can't enjoy it in the moment. So I asked John, what am I supposed to do about that? My experience is that there is no preparation for grief. Grief is always a shock, even expected deaths. Um, I've had deaths of pets that, that, was ex that were expected, and I had my father die of lung cancer after a serious three months of illness. My sister just died in January after uh, three months of serious illness, also from lung cancer. And to see someone die in that way is just so clearly right. the dying. But I've said that even knowing a death is coming, there is some element always in my experience of shock to the fact of it, to the reality of it. I think there's no preparation for it. I think right. the preparation for it is to be as loving and as close to being able to have a feeling as possible. The other thing is that grief is my second best teacher after love. Love is my first best teacher. Grief is my second best teacher. And it, uh, I want to share love and the lessons of love with others. Why would I not want to share grief and the lessons of grief if it's offered so much to me? And what yeah. it's offered to me is a new and deeper relationship with what goes on in my emotional life and in my mental life. I've been able to sift through that curtain, or that, that's fucking up metaphors, but I've been able to, 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 to look through through the layers of grief and see what's going on emotionally and mentally. And that has been a tremendous, tremendous source of growth and understanding of myself and of being human. My biggest problem is that I struggle with my own humanity. I, I thought that when I got sober, I would be more prepared than I feel like I am. So whenever I have some depression or mania creep in, I, or just feelings of inadequacy that come with my new sobriety, I worry that my kids are seeing that side of me exclusively. I feel like I'm poisoning them with the worst version of me. I feel like people can see it, right? Just like, oh, this is your fault. You know, this kid's acting out, basically screaming like a dinosaur, like 24-7. This is on you, right? <laughs> how do you get, how do I get through that part? You know, I can't take one thread out of the tapestry without the danger of unraveling the whole thing. I can't pick and choose my qualities, my habits, my um, influences. I can't pick and choose um how I am and who I am. I can work with it. I can do my best to work with it. But all of it combined to bring me to this moment here now with you, to bring me to this level of my humanity here now with you. I'm the man I am here now with you because of every bloody thing that happened. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything I've done cruel and kind, every moment of my life, painful and joyous. And so to play God by picking and choosing and redesigning myself and thereby redesigning my child seems like a fool's mission. The question is, how can I move towards making peace with myself? How can right. I welcome my shadow side as an equal and um, important component of the man that I am. Right. 
not to, not to vilify it. I'm humbly grateful that I am just one man living one life in the midst of all these other lives, in the midst of all of this experience. And therefore, I don't feel what I felt as a younger person, which was a burden to be something or not be something. I get to slowly develop and discover the man that is me, who is always changing and never really stable. But I get to discover and develop that man if I have some humility and give up the idea of what I should or shouldn't be. At this point, if you've been listening to this show, you know that as a person, I am like terminally haunted. My past bothers me. And I struggle with how to get over it. I feel like I should not be haunted. How do I become unhaunted? How do I be kind to myself? Oh, God, there's a list of things. A lot has gone through my mind as you were speaking. First of all, I want to say, how do I define the great spirit? How do I define a higher power? How do I define something divine, some divine energy that I believe, that I choose to believe exists? Uh, How I define it is is the biggest foundational issue. If I define it as punishing and judgmental, then I will keep that alive in my life as i define if i choose to believe in something that i define as unconditionally loving the radical notion of unconditional love that cannot be gained or lost that cannot be won or squandered the idea that it exists because it exists and i am in the presence of it has been a great change in my life and has allowed me to adjust to everything i think about myself in the negative i said after brian died that i was casually cruel to him many times and i called it a kind of casual cruelty it was cruelty in passing it was little things and I'm sad for that. I'm sad for that fact. But I was also magnificently kind and loving. And so to take one without the other, I wish I was never cruel or unkind to him. But that's not the truth. That's not the human I am. So first of all, what kind of a spirit uh, energy am I conceiving as an overriding uh, light within the universe and within my life? Secondly, the choice to punish myself, the choice to judge myself can very often be us uh, kind of um, taking care of business before somebody else takes care of it. That kind of idea that if I do it, I can also give myself penance. I I I can make myself be guilty and punished and then nobody else will guilt me or punish me. That's that's a faulty way of thinking. But but that's exactly how I think. So uh, I don't know what to do. You know, if you wake up and there is an anvil on your chest and you do not want to leave the house and everything is not as it's supposed to be for you, how do you be grateful in that moment? 
So first and foremost, I I can be grateful to identify what I'm feeling and what I want and don't want to do and how I am. And then secondly, I can honor it. I can honor it as a valid experience and not judge it to the best of my ability. Judgment is the enemy of gratitude. Judgment is the enemy of peace and serenity. As soon as I start to criticize and judge, then I'm imagining an alternate reality that is better and and more desirable than the reality I'm in. And that's a bullshit path that leads to pain and suffering. Yeah. Jeez. And that's where my gratitude lives most clearly, AJ. I think most clearly it lives in my ability to have this experience that we call life, these things we call emotions, this opportunity to, to, to look at you on the screen and to talk to you and listen to you, this opportunity for connection to myself, to life and to others is my greatest experience of gratitude. I'm a shitty gratitude list writer and I don't force myself to do it. What I do encourage myself to do is to look at what's in front of me, literally when I'm on my bike in the morning for my bike ride or out the window where I have a lovely view or in the eyes and faces of people I'm talking to. I try to be where I am to receive what's in front of me. And that is a great expression and source of gratitude. It's both things to me. And... I don't separate it as something I do in the beginning or the end of my day or something that I have to pick up. I do sometimes have people tell me, well, what are you grateful for? Or in the, in the face of some difficult moment, I do have people remind me of things that they see in my life that I can be grateful for. So I'm not against being reminded of it, but I choose to see it more as a practice, yeah. a practice of presence as an expression and experience of gratitude. I am neck deep in adolescence and uh, teenage angst. I am neck deep in uh, questions of identity and personality and insecurity. I am mired in it. And it's going on for a lot longer than I want it to. And it's destabilizing. And again, the good news is it's slowly adjusting and it's not 24-7. And I've re-engaged my outside help. So I'm talking to my therapist again. And I get the opportunity to let it be what it is and do the things I know how to do to uh, interact with it. So my experience is it's better to interact with myself than to put myself on some kind of uh, course of uh, improvement. How do I interact with myself? Is it with some acceptance, with some generosity, with some good listening space or not? I can't imagine your, I feel imagine your therapist being very frustrated. Just like, no, this guy's got it. He's figured it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she gets to tell me, she gets to tell me to get out of my head. So I guess peaceful John is a real person. It's important to note that John does take care of himself. He knows how to set boundaries. So he's not on speed dial for every breakup, pep talk, or bad dream, or bad haircut. My regular communicators will get a text from me saying, um, I'm just not there today, or I'm dealing with uh, my own stuff, not available today, I, I don't have any juice today. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get to name it when, I, when I'm not available. During the holidays, it's important for me to give myself some kindness and allow for some grace while acknowledging my haunts 
I have to allow myself to figure out a way to get through it. And sometimes that may mean not being available to other people, but being available to myself. And people like John remind me of that. I mean, seriously, what would you, how do you think you're doing so far? Here and now? Yeah. I think, I think I'm doing as well as I can be doing here and now. Good. The process of recovery is like rebuilding yourself. It requires a lot of strength, both emotional and physical. And one of the people whose strength that I admire is Casey Johnston, a woman behind the newsletter, She's a Beast. So next time on Really Good Shares, she tells us about her journey towards swollness. And yes, I am a podcaster who says journey. Sorry. Really Good Shares is hosted by me, A.J. Delario, and we're produced by Julian Weller, Jackie Huntington, and Jessica Kreinchich, with production assistance from Lindsay Hoffman. Our theme music is usually Everything You'll Ever Need by Swamp Dog. This episode, you heard Synthetic World, also by Swamp Dog. Swamp Dog's the best. Our executive producers are myself and Julian Weller. Special thanks to Mangesh Hatikater and Bethany Macaluso. And extra special thanks to Peaceful John. I love you. If you liked what you heard here, check out thesmallbow.com. That's bow as in bow and arrow. Cool. We'll be back next time with Casey Johnston. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> Ooh. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.